Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, we're keeping it mostly positive with a local mental health expert who has some insights on ways to start the new year off right, what we all need to know about high radon levels in Minnesota this winter, and the radio voice of the Twins shares a few reasons for fans to have some hope this season. But first... Can you believe it? The 2017 Minnesota Legislature goes back into session Tuesday with a radically changed power dynamic. Republicans now control the Minnesota Senate and held on to their majority in the House in the last election, meaning it's now two against Democratic Governor Mark Dayton for the last two years of his term. MNN's Bill Werner joins us. Bill, what's up first on lawmakers' plates for the new year? Well, Scott, a high-visibility carryover issue from 2016 is skyrocketing health insurance premiums on the Minshore Exchange. Democratic Governor Mark Dayton and Republican leaders could not agree on a bill for a special session before Christmas to address that problem, so now they have it on their plates for the regular session. We asked Hamlin University political analyst David Schultz, is that going to be uh, kind of first up on the agenda? And if so, do you think that they'll make any progress on it early on? Well, the Speaker Dowd has said that he wants that to be something that they would address in the very first week. Whether or not that is something they really do, it's always up to speculation. There seems to be pretty significant concern, I think, among all parties to try to help many of these people who are facing these very high, high increases. And I think, in principle, the agreement is there, but as they always say, the devil's in the details. And I just don't know what's going to happen once they get into regular session, because we're now going to have many new members. Um, We're going to have a change in control of the Senate. So I expect to see legislation that first week. I expect to hear them to talk about it. Whether or not they really have a consensus on it, I'm not sure, because they really haven't been able to negotiate in terms of reaching an agreement, taking into consideration all the new members of the, of the Senate and the House. Let's look at some of the other things that are on lawmakers' plates. Obviously, the, the big thing is the state budget. Uh, we have a $1.4 billion surplus, which uh, some will say makes lawmakers' jobs easier, and some will say it makes it more difficult. Uh, the governor will bring out his budget proposal at some point uh, early on in the session. Uh, how much spending do you think that Governor Dayton is, is going to uh, include in that, particularly fresh spending, given that he, he does not have uh, a, um, a majority, a Democratic majority, then he won't in either the Minnesota House or the Senate? I think the governor is going to probably propose the budget that he wants to propose in terms of the spending and perhaps fight this out. And I say that because this is really his last budget session. He's not running for a third term, and there are certain things he still wants to accomplish. And I actually expect him to put out all the proposals at a funded level that he wants um, and then eventually see what he can get as a result of that. And so so I, I can imagine a scenario right off the bat where part of his budget looks like dead on arrival in the House and the Senate, but because he holds the veto, because he can eventually veto whatever the, the Republicans send to him, he has some leverage. So a big ask coming out of the starting gate is what, is what you're going That's to That's what I'm here. expecting, yeah. a big ask, and then, and then hopes to get at least that proverbial half a loaf, um, if not more. I really, in some sense, see the governor in a position of going for broke. Going for broke and saying this is his last chance to make his final legacy on a few different things that he still wants to accomplish. And in that same area, what about a bonding bill, which was the supposed to be the task of the 
last legislative session, but that didn't happen either. That fell apart in the closing moments of the regular session. Um, so um, um, what do you think is going to happen with that? Are we going to have a bonding bill this year? It's going to be tough because just, just for the legislature to get through the, the budget is always very difficult. And we've seen in the last few years a lot of special sessions. We've seen several government shutdowns. I think it's going to be very complicated just for them to reach agreement on that, especially if the governor puts out sort of the, you know, the, the, the big budget that he wants. And I could very well see the bonding bill getting pushed off to 2018, which would normally be the next bonding year. In fact, I think the governor might put as a higher profile, as a higher priority, trying to do something in terms of transportation um, and, and infrastructure, um, clearly, clearly transportation, um, and then maybe hope the following year to get to a very large bonding bill. And you anticipated my next question, that transportation bill, speaking of things that slide year after year after year at the, at the Minnesota legislature. Do you think the governor will basically try to integrate the transportation funding in some way, shape, or form in his budget itself? Now, I realize that, that that's not totally doable, but uh, that he will, will try to link the two together strongly so that, so that he would try to increase his chances of getting something in the transportation area. Yeah, I do. I actually see him trying to do several things. One, I think the grand plan would be if he could figure out a way of linking um, a bonding bill the regular budget and infrastructure and transportation in a very intricate way. And if he were to do that, that might make it much more complex for legislators to get anything done by May. But on the other hand, it might might perhaps um, increase some likelihood that he gets more of the things that he wants. What are the chances of getting all this done on time, or do we potentially go to a, um, a shutdown, a government shutdown again this year? First off, I think it's a very high probability that we're going to go into overtime. I th- the legislature seems incapable of getting its work done you know, by the May deadline, and some of it is because of partisanship. Some of it may be simply because of the complexity of government now that it's difficult to get the work done in the amount of time that they have. Um, so I think it's pretty certain we're going to see some of this going into, into special session. And then at the same time, given the partisanship that's there, um, I would not – be the first to say at this point that we shouldn't be thinking about shutdown or at least threaten shutdown again. That's Hamlin University political analyst David Schultz. Scott, I don't know about anybody else, but I don't think I will make any vacation plans for either June or July. We'll stay tuned and see what happens. Thank you for that report, Bill. More Minnesota Matters after this. ...drinks with some friends. Started off with a pitcher for the table, which quickly becomes two. There's pool... And there's the photo booth. All right, everybody, squeeze in. Say cheese. Followed naturally by an order of wings. And another. Can we get some extra ranch sauce? Then there's the ceremonial nightcap. So what are we doing this weekend? And lastly, it's back to the car, which, if you're buzzed... could be the most expensive night of your life. Getting pulled over for buzz driving could cost you around $10,000 in fines, legal fees, and increased insurance rates. Nothing kills a buzz like getting pulled over for buzz driving, because buzz driving is drunk driving. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. 
Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. Now that the holidays are mostly behind us, the end of the year can sometimes seem like a bit of a letdown. And for a variety of reasons, many are saying 2016 was a particularly harsh year. I recently chatted with Park Nicollet therapist Emily Ross about ways of coping when times get rough. Emily, we've spoken a couple times here towards the end of the year talking about how folks can deal with uh, holiday stress. And now as we come to the end of the year, I'm seeing more and more uh, year-end reviews that are talking about what a horrible year 2016 was. And so that that seems to be a a common theme running through some of these year-end pieces. How can we cope with uh, the year that's just ending and as we look towards 2017? I, you know, and I'm, I haven't read those pieces myself, but I think that the election put a real damper on 2016 because it didn't just happen in November. We have a lot of build-up to the election. Um, and I think there's a lot of um, different outlooks as we look forward towards 2017. So I think, first and foremost, no matter how you're feeling about what happened in your life or in the world in 2016 is to practice gratitude because no matter how desolate things might be, we can always find things to be grateful for. We can always find things that did go well or that we did well um, or that we handled well despite adversity. So I think gratitude is a, is a tremendous, um, tremendous skill um, to practice in order to overcome some of the, the bleakness that might come with the end of the year. Also setting an intention for 2017, I think, you know, we talk about New Year's resolutions, and there's pros and cons to doing resolutions, but even just to create an intention that's a word for 2017, whether that be balance or trust or health, so that you feel like you're going forward into something that's more positive than perhaps 2016 was for you. You know, you mentioned resolutions, and that's something that I was hoping to talk with you about as well. Uh, are, are they effective? It, it really depends on the kind of person that you are. Um, for some people, having a very clear goal is a way that they can hold themselves accountable. But the vast majority of the population doesn't do a great job with holding themselves accountable without some external accountability. So um, also a lot of people tend to make really unrealistic uh, New Year's resolutions. So all of a sudden on January 1st, I'm going to eat no carbohydrates. That's probably not, not realistic if, if the carbohydrates have been a part of your life for a long time. So I think it depends on the type of person you are, how well you do with internal accountability, um, and how realistic the goals or resolutions you're setting for yourself are. One of the other elements that was fairly consistent through some of these year-end review pieces was that, you know, we've, we've lost a lot of celebrities that people somehow feel an affinity for. Um, how do we deal with loss at the end of a year as we head into a new year? at the end of the year, whether it be for an actual person who died or for a period of life that has ended or for a loss of functioning or a loss of a job is very meaningful. The term for that is called ambiguous loss, meaning that it doesn't just have to be a person, but it could have been um, a state of being or a level of functioning. Um, And how we go forward with that, um, I think, is to honor what that loss was. First of all, to name it. Um, And people honor losses in very, very different ways. Working with a grief counselor can be a really great way to try to figure out exactly how to do that for yourself. Um, but again, kind of shining a light on that loss and, and what you learn from that person or from that period in your life or from that job that you lost, um, shining a light on that and, and looking at the lessons learned and how the world has changed because of that person or that period can be a more positive way to, to look at it. But again, I would really refer people 
you know, for specific losses, especially if it's a personal loss in the family, a lot of people feel that around the holidays and, and year end. And working with a grief counselor can be a really helpful way to figure out how to process that. What do you see towards the end of the year? I mean, are, are people, do they tend to get more depressed at this time of year? Is that, uh, is that a myth or is that a reality? I think, I think it varies very, very widely. I think that in Minnesota, we deal with the darkening of our days, and that certainly affects people's moods um, pretty consi- consistently. So I, um, if you're someone who struggles with that darkness that comes along with winter, and, and winter also kind of gives us all this sense that, you know, as the snow builds and the roads get tighter, it's almost as if winter is closing in on us. Um, and so to, to talk with a, um, a healthcare professional about whether a light box, uh, some light box therapies would be helpful for you to try to increase um, mood levels a little bit. Um, that can be one one option for folks who might be struggling with darkness. Or even when you go home and it's 6 o'clock at night and everything is pitch dark, light some candles so that it's more of a cozy feel rather than a cold, um, lonely feeling. Is there something of a of a letdown after the months and months of building up to uh, the Christmas holiday season once it goes away? Do you find that uh, people's spirits tend to go down dramatically after that? Oh my goodness, yes. I think that our culture and our society puts so much into this, you know, five-ish week period, um, you know, building up to, to the major holidays in December. And it's really, um, I think it's, it's lovely and fun for a certain type of person, but I think it can lead to an incredible letdown if it's not balanced with, with, with something else. If you hear that about people, you know, after their wedding day. It's like they, they put months and months and months into their wedding day, and then after the wedding day, it's kind of a crash. So I certainly think the holidays have the power to provide that same crash for people after the holidays. It sounds like one of the keys here that you've mentioned a couple times is balance. How, how do you recommend we achieve that if it's not something that necessarily comes naturally to us? You know, it's, it's a very individualized process to, to figure out what that would look like in your life. Um, I can tell you in my life, it includes movement and incorporating regular movement into my days. It includes um, spending time with people who fill me up rather than deplete me. Um, it includes spending time with my family and my, my animals and slowing down. <laughs> I think sometimes life gets us um, moving at such a quick pace that we forget to slow down and enjoy some of these smaller parts of life that are, are really something to cherish rather than move through it or check off a list. Well, as always, I enjoy the opportunity to chat with you and thank you for the information. Absolutely. Have a good one. Minnesota Matters will return after this. Sometimes a simple idea can be developed into something big that can change the world. This is Katy Perry. In fourth grade, my music teacher helped me make a vision board. It was a collage that represented all of my hopes and aspirations in music. But what if my teacher didn't have the supplies we needed to make our collages? What if I never got the chance to learn and express my dreams? Unfortunately, that's the reality our teachers face every day. They're forced to spend their own money, sometimes just to keep the classroom running. That's why I'm teaming up again with Staples for Students to donate $1 million to DonorsChoose.org, a charity that helps teachers get what they need to bring learning to life for students. DonorsChoose.org has helped fulfill more than 700,000 classroom projects benefiting more than 18 million students. It's an idea that's changing the world. It's easy to help. Donate in Staples stores or learn more at staplesforstudents.org. 
Technology moves at the speed of innovation, and today, that's lightning fast. So when you get your hands on the latest tech, don't forget to do the right thing with your old devices. Recycle them. The Consumer Electronics Association and its members are making recycling your old tech device as easy as purchasing new ones. Just go to greenergadgets.org, type in your zip code, and you'll instantly find the responsible recycling location closest to your home. You'll also find lots of tips to simplify your recycling, like asking the store where you buy your new TV if they'll haul away your old one. Television sets, video game consoles, smartphones, tablets. They're all recyclable. Don't let them clog up your local landfill. Just visit greenergadgets.org. You're sharp enough to get the latest tech tools into your home. Now be responsible enough to get your old devices to the recycler. That's greenergadgets.org. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. While the number of homes in Minnesota tested for radon has increased more than threefold since 2010, only about 1% of properties in the state were tested in the most recent five year period. MN's Tasha Radel has more. That's right, Scott. While the increase in home testing is a positive trend, the same data shows from 2010 to 2014, two in five Minnesota homes, about 40%, still have dangerous levels of radon, more than three times the national average. Joining me now is Dan Tranter with the Minnesota Department of Health. Dan, this latest report shows a spike in the number of people testing their home, but at the same time, it reflects that not enough Minnesota families are jumping on board with the testing. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, an analysis we did found that between 2010 and 2014, so for that most recent five-year period, only about 1% of homes tested for radon in the state. We like every home and every building to test every five years. So the ideal goal is 100% of homes tested every five years, uh, but our most recent time frame showed only 1% had tested. It is an increase, as you say. Uh, in 2010, uh, we saw fewer homes tested at that time compared to 2014. So the testing is trending in the right direction. We are seeing more testing, but we're still much below where we'd like to be. And you know, when we talk about radon, uh, can you tell us a little bit about, about this gas and why it's so important to know uh, if we have radon in our homes? Radon is a colorless, odorless soil gas. It comes from the ground. It seeps into our homes. It is a type of radiation. So when we breathe radon for an extended period of time, for many months or years, it causes damage to our lungs, and that damage can lead to the development of lung cancer. It is a very significant lung carcinogen. After smoking, it is the leading cause of lung cancer and the leading cause in non-smokers. The U.S. EPA has estimated that at least 21,000 lung cancer deaths each year in the U.S. are linked to radon. Uh, so it is a very significant public health concern, a very uh, big hazard in our homes that we need to test for and fix. Every homeowner should test their home. Uh, it is very preventable to reduce your risk from radon-induced lung cancer simply by testing and where necessary if you have high levels by installing a radon reduction system. 
And, you know, you, you mentioned testing, that Minnesotans should get their um, um, homes tested for it. I think I had read a statistic that uh, two in five homes uh, have dangerous levels of radon. How does a Minnesota family move forward in testing? Is it, is it a hard process? Not at all. It's very easy to test your own home yourself. We do have a recommendation for real estate transactions. When you buy a home, we recommend you hire a third party, like a home inspector, to test the property before you buy it. But for most of us, when we test, we're just testing a home that we live in. And there are some very simple do-it-yourself test kits out there. Uh, you can get them from uh, counties in many cases. They're either free or for a few dollars through county health departments. So I always suggest people start with their county health departments to see if they have kits. If they don't, you can also get test kits online through links available from the Minnesota Department of Health to reputable laboratories. Uh, they're only uh, $9.95 for a short-term test uh, online. But like I said, it can be free in many cases from the county. You can also get test kits from hardware stores. They do cost a little more, but people can go get kits there. Any which way you get the kit, they're designed for the homeowner to use themselves. They place the test kit in the lowest lived-in part of the home. So that may be the basement if you spend like 10 hours a week in the basement or maybe the next level up. Uh, you test for a few days, you seal up the test device, you send it off to a laboratory. The laboratory then analyzes the test device and sends a report back to the customer with a radon level. Now, in many cases, we do recommend a second test to confirm that initial test. If the levels come back high, and by high we mean typically we say if it's over 4 uh, picocuries per liter, and picocuries per liter are the units of radiation, if it's over 4, we highly recommend mitigation, but we also recommend considering mitigation between two and four. And mitigation means installing a radon reduction system. And I understand that uh, winter is the best time to test. Is that correct? Yeah, we can test any time of the year. Uh, levels tend to be a little bit higher in Minnesota in the winter, although we see high levels every season, spring, summer, fall as well. My last question for you, is there any area of the state that uh, sees higher levels of radon, or is it across the board? Radon levels are high across the state. We see elevated levels in every county, in every zip code. So uh, we encourage everyone in every part of the state to test to find out if they have a radon problem. For more information on radon, check out the Minnesota Public Health Data Access Portal, which is located on the Department of Health's website. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Unexpected reactions to smart financial decisions brought to you by FeedThePig.org. Well, I finally did it. I opened a 401k. So you're giving up, just like that. Giving up on what? I'm getting an inheritance from a distant relative. Don't you think if there were a billionaire in the family, we'd know about it by now? Listen to me. We are one phone call away from riding horses on our own private polo grounds. One call from christening yachts, having a butler, using summer as a verb. How do you figure? Look, everyone's got a rich uncle somewhere. It's statistics. So the best thing you can do is just prepare for the inevitable. Right, which is why I thought maybe it would be smart to take control of my finances. You know, start using a budget, get out of debt, set some retirement goals. Budgets? Debt? You watch your mouth. Retirement shouldn't be a goal for us. It should be a way of life. When it comes to financial stability, don't get left behind. Get tools and tips for saving at feedthepig.org. This message brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. 
Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. 2016 was a bad year for the Minnesota Twins. They set a franchise record for most losses, but there is reason for some long-term optimism. This week on Minnesota Matters, MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm gets some insights from the radio voice of the Minnesota Twins, Corey Provis. Scott, one reason that may have fans feeling better heading into the new year about the Twins is the new-look front office with the additions of Derek Falvey and Thad Levine. The young rising stars were snatched away from the front offices of the Cleveland Indians and the Texas Rangers. Twins radio voice Corey Provis has spent some time around those two and has some thoughts. Very intelligent. I can see why, especially Derek. When you get to know Derek and you just speak with him for 20 minutes, you can see why he interviewed really well. And I could see in a way how he distanced himself, Mike, from other candidates with the way that he just studies and, and just his knowledge of, of, of not just the X's and O's of the game, but what makes the game thrive today. And it's not purely based on sabermetrics, but you're going to hear Derek use this saying a lot. It's, it, it's called explain the why. He's not content with just hearing that an outfielder's not good at going back on a ball to his right. He's going to dive into the reasons why. Well, through sports science and nutrition, they, you may find out that he has 5% less agility in his rank, right ankle than he does in his left. These are things that I never would have thought of before. But this is part of Derek's background. This is a, a part of not everything, but this is something that Derek has touched on throughout his time with the Indians. People focus on the pitching aspect, and he was a big part of that with the Indians. But it wasn't just that. He's really well regarded in, in so many different facets of the game and, and the different studies involved in the game today. Uh, so, I, But I, I've been very impressed with him. And with Thad, his, his personality has really just driven uh, – through from the moment I met him. Funny guy. And I think these guys both realize this is not going to be a 12-month turnaround here. I, I, this is not something where they say we can make this thing great as early as 2017. They're going to try, but I think they're realistic. I think ownership is realistic that this is going to take you know, a little bit of time. With uh, some of the things that you hear, and I know you've, you're in tune to it, uh, but you know, what's the future of Brian Dozier? Is he going to be back? He's one of the top second basemen. Uh, has a lot of value for the Twins, which means he also has a lot of value for maybe another team that might be willing to part with something. Um, your best guess, opening day, will you be uh, introducing him as a starter at second base for the Twins? You know, my experience, Mike, with this has been the more chatter, that the more likely something's going to happen. Uh, if I had to read right now, and I'm not saying I want this to happen because I, I love Brian as a person and forget as, as a player, he's just a fantastic player, but just a great guy. I think the chances are pretty promising that he's going to be traded. There's just, there's just too much smoke there, and so I, I wouldn't be shocked if that happens. Now, again, I'll miss him, uh, you know, I really miss him because of just the, the kind of guy he is, and I've gotten to know Brian and, and his wife Renee through charitable work that we do together with the Boys and Girls Club. Um, so I'll miss him, but I, I would love for him to be back because he is a leader. He is a leader that uh, that that I was with on Caravan, going back to my first Caravan in 2012. He was the Twins Minor League Player of the Year, and I was with him and Tom Kelly and Liam Hendricks, who was the Minor League Pitcher of the Year. And you just saw something with Brian Dozier then. Forget his play that this guy was, was a blossoming star. Uh, just the way that he carried himself and his play really picked up. And then 2012, he didn't make the team out of camp. He was the last cut 
He was the last cut in spring training. Guardy was in tears when he had to deliver the news because he played well. Uh, but then we saw him that year, and, and there were some there were some down moments. And then he took off, and, and, and nobody really saw it coming. And you could say it all began with the move to second base, but I think it's a, it's a credit to his work ethic and just listening to advice because he has blossomed into one of the top second basemen of the game today, defense, offensively. But with that comes value, and I, and I understand where the Twins are at from a roster standpoint. They need to improve their pitching, and probably the way to do that without signing you know, a, a guy to a max contract that the Twins just don't, aren't going to do, it's probably parting ways with a very popular player. And, yeah, that would be uh, you know one of those deals that – it's a, it's a move for the future and down the road. Hopefully you see dividends on that. Um, otherwise, as uh, you get slowly uh, rolling towards spring training, how much do you look forward to, uh, uh, to, to time in Fort Myers and seeing kind of this club develop uh, each year? I'm curious to see more than anything else about Derek and Thad. I just, I, I just am curious to see how things will be different what will be different this year and maybe we'll never know it maybe all the maybe everything that that we see will be status quo but kind of behind the scenes the meetings that they have and 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 just the I, I could see the twins building a sports science staff and nutrition expanding that department not just analytics I think that's going to grow as well uh, with the twins front office but that to me is, is kind of I'm really intrigued by that just how different camp will be with the new set of guys and the new hitting coach as well uh, I'm, I'm curious to see what his approach will be, how he's going to tinker with some of these guys. Um, uh, they've, they've made some additions with their coaching staff. Jeff Pickler from the Dodgers, he has kind of a unique role. Jeff Smith uh, is going to be a first base coach and work with the catchers. He's the former manager at Fort Myers before that. He was with a lot of these guys at AA, uh, at New Britain especially. So it's going to be unique just watching this new staff, front office, coaching kind of mesh, and, and try to build a build something to, to lead us into a pro more promising direction than what we've seen. Enjoy it, no matter what happens, and uh, we'll look forward to your calls as always uh, as the uh, summer approaches. Always fun, my friend. Take care. Happy holidays. That's Twins Radio Voice Corey Provis on Minnesota Matters. Scott? Thank you, Mike. That's going to do it for this week. Thanks for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.